are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So, someone you know. My wife Annette and I, right before we moved here from Cincinnati, were out one day on our day off, and we, we met this lady that we had not met before. She was about 10 years younger than us at the time. She was in her early 40s. And we got in this conversation with her, and um, she was very friendly, and we learned that her husband, who, who was a doctor, had passed away within the past year, and just kind of in that conversation, it came very natural for us to say to her, you know, we're, we're part of a great church, and um, we would love for you to come to church with us. You, you, would, you would love our church. And so she said, well, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. I think that would be good for me where I am in my life right now. I'd, I'll come to your church. And so the next Sunday morning, uh, we told her just to ask for Rick or Annette or Rick and Annette. And so the next Sunday morning, I'm setting, you know, waiting for, you know, we're in worship and all of that. The, the music director had just asked us to be seated and the choir was going to sing next. And so the, the, the lady who was going to sing with the choir had stepped up to the front of the platform and, and the intro music was beginning. And so everybody was seated and, and she had said to someone, Rick and Annette. And they said, well, Annette's in the choir, Rick's on the front row. We had a middle aisle. She comes down the middle aisle, everybody's seated, this kind of long intro. She gets to the end of my aisle and I'm all the way down there. And when I turn and see her, she's just standing there and she goes, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like how, how awesome the pastor's girlfriend made it today, you know? Um, and, and so I just, I just said, oh, come on, you know? So she comes down, sits by me. The choir starts singing. I said, I'm glad you're here. She said, I told you I was going to come. I said, Annette's up there, you know? Um, and so um, about three quarters of the way through that choir song, she looks at me and she says, wow. I said, I know. In a few seconds, she looks back at me again and she's got tears on her face. And she says, I'm moved. I said, me too. In a moment, she just looks over at me again like, what, what's happening to me? And she puts her hands on her face and she just shakes her head. And she looks at me like, you know. What, what I came to believe was that she was experiencing the presence of Jesus. Do, do you understand that when people experience the presence of Jesus, it changes them. I, I remember one day a guy called me and said, Rick, I, I feel like that I'm in the presence of Jesus. Tell me what I have to do to never lose this. I'll do anything you tell me I have to do. So, so she came back and she came back and she came back with friends. Because that day something happened to her. And, and really, all we did was just kind of pointed her to Jesus. And she found herself in his presence. What if, what if you pointed someone you know 
to Jesus. And they found themselves in his presence. Speaking of someone you know, how many people do you know? (laughs) How many people do you know, Brad? A couple of hundred? A thousand? Less. How many people do you know? Seriously, how many do you know? Well, according to Columbia University, the average American knows about 600 people. Now, you may say it sounds high, you may say it sounds low. It sounds really low for me. Uh, because of my, my, my vocation, getting to be a pastor, I feel like you could maybe triple that for me. I, I feel like I know a lot. I know way more than that from just before coming here, you know. We'll talk in a minute about where we know those people from. We're not talking about knowing someone, you know, like a close personal friend. That same study says that the average American knows about 10 to 25 people well enough to trust or to not trust. But we're talking about people you know. So Annette and I were in Cincinnati a couple of months ago with our daughter Brittany, our granddaughter Sadie, went into a restaurant to grab some lunch, saw a lady in there that we know. We've only seen her once in the last 10 years besides that that encounter. But I would tell you, we know her. We know her boys. We know her grandkids. We know her daughter-in-laws. We know her story. She knows our story. She knows us. We don't see her often, but we know her. So you, you obviously know a lot of people. And, and on top of that, you're getting to know people all the time. So uh, Andy, you and Susan, I, I didn't know you a few months ago, but I feel like I'm getting to know you. And so I, I probably would put you in, in my number of people that I'm getting to know. So how many people, how many people do you know? Maybe the question I really want to ask is this. It's it's what if you pointed someone you know to Jesus and they spent time in his presence. So the, the question comes from the text. And the text is a story about a guy whose name is John the Baptist who pointed two of his disciples, followers, to Jesus. And they ended up spending time in Jesus' presence. And their lives took on a whole new trajectory. And they were forever changed and transformed. So let me take you there to the Gospel of John, okay? Chapter 1, John chapter 1. We were in John chapter 1 in the prologue last week. We dealt with those first 18 verses. Do you remember what John said in the prologue? In the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was, right. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. When you get to verse 17, John says, I'm just going to say his name. Jesus Christ is God come to the neighborhood. And then when you get to verse 29, he begins to make other statements about Jesus, big statements. Look, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. John says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's different than water baptism. 
And John says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Big statements about Jesus. And that gets us to verse 35. Okay? So let me take you there. The next day, which would have been like the third day of Jesus' ministry, John kind of marks the days. John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, in the section of Scripture I'm going to read to you today, he doesn't name them. But in the section that I'll read to you next week, he tells us that one of the disciples was Andrew. He doesn't tell us who the other disciple is. Some believe it's him, but we don't know for sure. So when he saw Jesus passing by, he said to these two disciples of his, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So Jesus is aware that somebody's following me. So turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? It's a question that Jesus asked on more than one occasion, by the way. They said, Rabbi. And so John translates it for non-Jewish readers, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him in Jesus' presence. It was about four in the afternoon. And so it's interesting that they say, where, where are you hanging out? And, and I love this gesture. You know I love it. And Jesus says, come and see. He just, he just lived this way. It's just, well, why don't you come and, and, and hang out with me? Why don't you come and spend some time with me? Why don't I just invite you into my life today? Amen. And then they begin to live with open arms. And they begin to say to others, come and see. Come and be a part of my life and what I've experienced. It's a beautiful story of what Jesus is like. <clears throat> I... Um, I remember a while back, I don't know, two, three years ago, uh, listening to a guy talk to a group of pastors. And, uh, and, he, and he asked this question. He says, what are you going to do about the 53% of Americans who are never going to come to your church on their own? I didn't go back and dig around and try to find out where he got the 53% and, and what that study was all about, but he had come to this place that he had read a study and he believed that 53% of Americans today have no intention of going to church. And they're not just going to wake up one day and say, I'm going to go find a church. Sounds like a big number to me. And, and then he became rhetorical and, and, and kind of funny and said, you know, what do you mean? And he's like, well, what part of not going to attend your church do you not understand? I mean, they're not coming. They're not going to show up. 53% of Americans aren't going to church right now and aren't going to go to church on their own. What are you going to do about that? I, I read all the time about uh, the decline of evangelism. 
In, in fact, these days I see it often. Well, what do you mean the decline of evangelism? I mean that evangelical churches have really slowed down sharing their faith. We, we would be considered an evangelical church, but we, like many other evangelical churches, we just don't share our faith anywhere like we used to. We don't invite people into our faith, into our faith community, into our lives like we once did. The, the country is seeing a major decline of evangelism. And, and I understand if you say, Rick, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know if people want to hear it. You know, I... The world's changing. You're right. The world is changing, and it's making it difficult for us. We don't understand our mission field any longer. We don't really know how to go about it. But, but I look at John the Baptist, and John just started with someone he knew. It sounds, it sounds like a good place to start to me. John just said, well... I know these guys, they're hanging out with me. I'll just point them to Jesus. So where do you, where do you know people from? Let me, let me give you a relational map. I was exposed to this, I don't know, a few years ago, and I kind of created my own with some help this week. But, you know, you know people from school, right? If you go to school, if you have a job, you know people from work. You know people from the neighborhood, probably, you know people from your church. Think about how many people you know from your past. How about, how about my kids' friends? My, my daughter, my granddaughter, rather, Sadie, is, is eight years old. So many of my daughter and son-in-law's friends are parents of Sadie's friends. You know people from sports. You know people from a place I go, like maybe a coffee shop or somewhere that I tend to hang out. Maybe an organization, a club I'm a member of. But when you begin to think about it and you begin to walk in your own life as I did through each of these places, I begin to identify, oh yeah, I know these people, these people. And I begin to realize, man, I, I know a lot of people. What if someone you know from all of those places is looking for something more in life? Those two disciples of John, they were, and Jesus knew it. And so he just asked them, What are you looking for? You want something. What is it that you want? You want to discuss the details of the law like the Pharisees and the scribes? Is that what you want? Are you wanting power and position like the Sadducees? You wanting a great military leader like the rest of the nation of Israel? What do you want? Are you looking for light and life? Are you looking for someone who can save you? I, I believe that, that people in our world, people that you and I know are looking for something. I believe people are looking for authenticity. 
I believe people are looking for community. I believe people are looking for meaning. I, I believe today in, in our nation, people are looking for hope. People are looking for purpose. Am, am I just going to live and, and then one day I'll, I'll kick the bucket and, and, and this is it? There's got to be more to life than what I'm getting here. I love the response, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's not what we want, it's who we want, and who we want is you. We want to be where you are. That's what we want. So let me ask you, if you just read this passage and you're up one morning early and you're having your Jesus time and you're praying and you're reading the Bible and you happen to be in John chapter 1 and you get to verse 35 and you read this story about John pointing out to two of his disciples, the Lamb of God, and they begin to follow Jesus. Would you, would you kind of stop and say, whoa, whoa, I think the earth is shaking. This is major stuff happening right here. This is like some of the biggest stuff in the Bible, you know? Would, would, would you see it as significant? Would you see it as highly important section of scripture here. Let me, let me go back and read it again and again and again. Let me dissect it. Let me try to dive into it. How, how important does it feel to you? You know how there's been this movement to where we're kind of interested in knowing where we came from and our ancestry and, you know, our family tree and all of that. You know how, you know, people are interested. You ever think about a faith family tree? I've been thinking about my faith family tree lately. Have you ever thought about your faith family tree? You ever think about that? So, so if, you, if you just think with me a little bit about what's going on here, let me show you a faith family tree, okay? So, so we start with John the Baptist, right? And so John tells, tells Andrew. He tells Andrew, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew, Andrew, we find out, that's his name, one of the disciples, in the very next verse. In the verse after that, we find out that Andrew then goes and tells his brother, Simon Peter, about, about Jesus. Simon Peter preaches at Pentecost, and 3,000 more people believe. I, I can't tell you what those stories are. Okay, I don't, know, I don't know how many people they told and how much it's scattered from there. But I do know that as we work our way through the book of Acts that Simon Peter talks to this lame beggar one day, and he believes, and when that story is told, 2,000 more come to know Jesus, and then Peter goes to Samaritan villages, and many people in the Samaritan villages put their faith in Jesus, and then he goes to Lydda. Many people at Lydda put their faith in Jesus. Many people at Sharon put their faith in Jesus. Many people in Joppa, they put their faith in Jesus. And then this is, this is big, okay, because this is the house of Cornelius. And what's interesting about the house of Cornelius is they are not Jews. It's the first time, one of the first times, this is the first major event where Gentiles begin to hear the gospel and they come into a saving faith with Jesus. And you can understand that there are so many branches in all of this. But if you ask me, how in the world, Rick, did you become a Christian? I'd say, well, I got to go back down here to 
Cornelius because I'm a Gentile. And somewhere it came to me from here. Jesus just says to them, come and see. And, and they spend the whole day with Jesus. And, and then the trajectory of their life changes. They, they are transformed. They become Christians. They begin to live their life by this whole upside-down way of thinking, the Jesus way. And, and then they begin to tell others, you should come and see what I've seen. And, and as they begin to tell others, then, then they begin to tell others, and they tell others. And as you can see in the family tree, it just goes nuts. I've been thinking for a long time that, that we have to somehow here at, at our church become way more focused on being a culture of, of, of inviting people to faith. And, and I don't feel adequate as a pastor or a leader to know how to move us to that place. You and me, when I say us. But I'm convinced that something has to change. Tom Rainer, a few years ago, who is a kind of a church forecaster, maybe, I don't know. He said, I'm convinced that the enemy, if I was the enemy, rather, I'm convinced that I would, I would do everything I can to convince the church that there are things more important than evangelism. Tom Rainer says, if I was the enemy, I think I would do everything that I could to convince the church that there's many things that are so much more important than evangelism. How, how, do, how do we, this great old 110-year-old, 15-year-old church, how do we become more focused on creating this culture of inviting people into this faith that we're so blessed to be recipients of God's great mercy? I wrote a prayer a few years ago. We call it the Open Arms Prayer. And, and it simply says, Father, bring someone into my life today. Could be someone you know, someone you don't know, someone you're going to get to know. Give me the wisdom to recognize them. The reason I say that is because I think God brings people into our life every day. We just, we just got an agenda and we're busy and we're just moving on with life. We just don't see them. And give me the grace to open my arms by inviting them into my life my community, meaning my church community, and my faith. Do you know when I pray this prayer, God answers it? Do you know what? When my friends pray this prayer, God answers it. When, when I say to, to you on a Sunday morning, I'm going to challenge you to pray this prayer, do you know what you come back and tell me? God answered it. Take a picture of it. Write it down. We'll leave it up here for a minute. When I pray this prayer, God answers it. 
My, uh, my mom and her family moved from Kentucky to Argo, Illinois when my mom was a teenager so my grandfather could work in a factory there. And, and one day, my mother and my grandmother were in a grocery store. And, and this older couple met them in the grocery store while they were shopping and learned that my mom and grandmother were from Kentucky and this older couple were from Kentucky. And, and they began to talk to them and said, have you found a church yet? Since you've moved to Argo, just outside of Chicago. And they said, no. And they said, well, we go to the First Church of the Nazarene here in Argo. Would you want to go to church with us? My grandmother said, we don't, we don't have a car. We, don't, we wouldn't have a way to get to church. And they said, well, we would pick you up. And so my grandmother turns to my mom and says, Cecil, mother's name is Cecilia, but always been called Cecil. Would you want to go to church? And my mom says, I, would, I want to. She was just, a, I think, 13, 14 years old. And so they begin picking them up and taking them to church. My mom said, I loved it. One, one day on the way home from church, the Coomers, that was their last name, said to my grandmother, you know, church camp is coming up in a few weeks. And uh, we wondered if Cecil would want to go. And, uh, and my grandmother said, I wouldn't have the money to send her to church camp. And they said, no, we would send her. And so my mom says, I want to go. And so they send her to church camp. And at church camp, my mother met Jesus. And her life was forever changed. When I say the trajectory of her life changed, I don't, to have known the family that my mother was raised in, my, my mother became passionate about pointing people to Jesus. I love to tell people that my mother would get up on Saturday morning after working all week in the factory when I was growing up. And, and she would get up early on Saturday because on Saturday she got the housework done and she went to the grocery, got all of that finished because Saturday afternoon my mother was going fishing. Not for fish. Do you remember Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Mom. I did it with her many times as a little boy. She would park the car on the street and she would walk down the street, knocking on every door, inviting people to church. And she would come back down the other side of the street. Many people said yes over the years. Many people came to Jesus over the years. When I turned 16 and got a car, I got a list of people to bring to church. Because many of those people didn't have a ride, like my mother and grandmother didn't have a ride. And so when I was 16 years old, I began driving. I would ease into the car, par, rather ease in my car into the parking lot, car full of ladies, <laughs> senior adult ladies. 
I, I remember my dad and mom waking me up as a little boy in the, in the middle of the night saying, put your clothes on, get dressed, we gotta go somewhere. We drove into town seven miles away because a man my mom had been pointing Jesus to could not go to sleep. He was miserable. He wanted to become a Christian at two o'clock in the morning. My, my dad didn't want my mom to drive by herself at two in the morning. So all six of us got in our Dodge Dart, drove to town, prayed with him, went back home and went back to bed. I, I think about my family tree and and let me put that diagram on the board for you. It, it's the Coomers down here. My mom. I'm somewhere. I don't know how many people my mom told about Jesus over the years and still telling people. And I don't know how many people they told. So here's what I want to challenge you to do as we work through these next couple weeks together in this series called Someone You Know. I want you to think about your family tree. So who told you? How far back can you go? And who told them? And who have you told? And who have they told? This is the plan that God has always intended. I wanted to mention to you too that out in the foyer we have these little invite cards. Um, and you can pick some up as you go. And, and it might be helpful to say to somebody, this is what time it starts, this is the address, you know. Could we pray this morning that God would, uh, God would help us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Help us. Help us to point someone we know to Jesus. Because what if we did? And what if they spent time in your presence? And what if their lives were forever changed? In Jesus' name. We have um, the elements with us today, and so would you take what you were given when you came in, open the bread, and then open the cup. If you're like me, you're saying, I need some grace, I need God's help. God has provided a way for us given his life and he offers grace to us today to share and point Jesus to him and so let's receive his grace and celebrate his presence in this moment with us he was with the disciples he took the bread and broke it and said this is my body broken for you eat it all of you he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the ransom of many people you know. Drink it, all of you. Thank you, Jesus.
You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.